It is often said that every page of the Bible is a love letter from God. So it shouldn't be surprising to find Jesus on every page as well, even in the Old Testament. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how the Old Testament is so filled with Christ that Jesus used it to teach about himself. To introduce the conclusion of his message, is he from the Old Testament or the New Testament? Here's David. You know, I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities to study both in college and in seminary. And one of the courses I remember that was a, kind of a new thing for me at that time when I took it was a course I took in seminary on Jesus in the Old Testament. All of the things in the Old Testament that pertain to Jesus particularly, we studied them. And as we did, I could feel my faith growing in the integrity of the Bible. And uh, I hope that's true for you as we just take this little peek at this one question. Is he from the Old Testament or from the New We'll point out some of those places in the Old Testament where Jesus appears, and you'll be surprised to discover how powerful those appearances are even before we meet him as the newborn babe at Christmas. We are studying this series called The Jesus You May Not Know. That's the title of a book, the title of a study guide we have available for you. You can order this from davidjeremiah.org, which is our website. There's also a CD album that accompanies these uh, resources. You can order all three of them and be ready to restudy it for yourself or to share it with someone else. I hope you will take advantage of the opportunity of this series being on the radio to do that. And then during the month of December, we're making available our brand new devotional for the new year. It's called Walking with Jesus. And there's a devotional in here for every day of the new year. In fact, as I mentioned yesterday, there's 366 of them because this is leap year. We don't want you to miss one day. And each day as you read these devotionals, you will be uh, drawn into the encouragement of the Word of God and be motivated to continue your study and to have a devotional life. It's amazing to me how often when we do this, we read something on a particular day, and it's the very particular day we need to read that very thing. I don't know how to explain that, except it's a God thing. I want you to have this devotional. It's beautiful. It's color-bound. It's beautifully designed. It's beautiful leather. The title of the devotional is Walking with Jesus. What a goal for the new year. Ask for your devotional when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point. They're shrink-wrapped. They'll come to you in perfect order, and you will love it as you read through it in the year to come. Here is part two of Is He from the Old Testament or the New Testament? This is The Jesus You May Not Know. The book of Numbers describes one of the most vivid symbols of Christ in the Old Testament. I need to pause here for just a moment and say, I'm glad that God never called me to be a shepherd over Israel's people. Moses had, I think, the hardest job anybody has ever had. Because according to the Bible and according to God, they have a tendency to be somewhat stubborn. And if you haven't figured it out, Israel kept getting themselves in trouble. They'd get in trouble. God would send some punishment to them. They'd get all right with God and they'd come back and they'd walk with God for a while. Then before you know it, there they go again. It's just one story after the other. And don't look so surprised because it sounds like our story, doesn't it? 
Well, in the book of Numbers, in the 21st chapter, Israel's in a lot of trouble. They've done some very bad things. Don't have time to go into all the detail. But God was fed up with it. And so he sent some punishment to get their attention. He sent them snakes. The Bible calls them serpents, but they're just snakes. Mean, ugly snakes. Snakes everywhere in Israel. And they were poisonous snakes. And if you got bit by one of these snakes, you just, was it. You were done. Nothing to do but die. And Moses pled with God to take this punishment away. Moses felt responsible for the fact that the people were sinning. He begged God to take this plague from his people. And God spoke to Moses and told him, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit anyone in the camp, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Why don't we ask Jesus? Jesus explained it in John three fourteen and 15. This is what he said. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The people in the wilderness looked to the serpent, and they were healed. And when you and I look to Jesus on the cross, when we feel the regret and pain of what we have done and our sinful choices, The remedy is never to try to heal ourselves. The remedy is simply to look to Jesus and accept what he's done on the cross. To look to the cross and say, I know you're there for me. You paid the penalty for my sin. And when we look to the cross, it has the same effect upon us as what happened in the Old Testament when those who had been bitten by the serpent looked to the serpent on the pole and they were healed. perfect illustration of Jesus. And where is it? It's in Numbers chapter 21. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. And then number four, there's Jesus, the forsaken Savior. Let's move out of the history books. Let's move out of the Pentateuch. Let's move to the books of David and the books of the prophets. We'll stop along the way in the book of Psalms and we'll find our way in Psalms to one of the great Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, the psalmist describes the crucifixion. I want you to just think about this for a moment. I wish we could open our Bibles and go through all the different verses, but let me just give you the gist of it, and you can write it down in your notes. In Psalm 22, we have a prediction of the words that Jesus would say while he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. In Psalm 22, we have a description of the nature of his suffering and death, verse 7. In Psalm 22, we have the exact words that were flung at him by the bystanders at the cross. In Psalm 22, we have the story of the dehydration and loss of bodily fluids that were involved in his terrible death at crucifixion. 
In Psalm 22, we have a history of the disjointed position of his body. In Psalm 22, we have a record of his intense thirst. In Psalm 22, we have a record of the piercing of his hands and feet. In Psalm 22, we have the unclothed state of his body in death. In Psalm 22, we have the gambling away of his garments by the executioners. In Psalm 22, we have his declaration of victory at the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, Psalm 22 was written 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. Even more amazing is, when Psalm 22 was written, crucifixion was unknown in the world. Crucifixion didn't come until 500 years later. Crucifixion is the most cruel kind of execution. And in the days before the Romans had power, crucifixion was not used. And when David wrote this, 1,000 years before it happened on Mount Calvary, there wasn't even any knowledge of crucifixion, and yet David described it literally in a psalm that was written 10 centuries before it actually happened. Yes, me why I believe in Jesus? It's not because I have this wonderful emotional feeling in my heart. I've done a little work. I realize that this Jesus that I put my faith in is worthy of my trust, not just because I'm a man of faith. I also happen to be a man of evidence, and the evidence for Jesus is so powerful that any thinking person who would religiously study it would have to come away with the realization that this is unlike anything there is in the history of the world. One more before we close. He's the seed of the woman. He's the Passover lamb. He's the fiery serpent. He's the forsaken savior. And he's the suffering servant. Now let's pass from Psalms to the prophet Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is replete with the message of Jesus. The information about his coming. Let's just stop for a moment and think about Christmas, if you will. In the book of Isaiah, which is sometimes called the fifth gospel, the Messiah is to be born of a virgin. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He will come from Galilee. He will be born a child, a son. He will be the prince of peace who will inherit the throne of his father, David. He will be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He will possess remarkable traits of character and personality and do something so extraordinary on a mountain that the shroud of death covering all nations will be destroyed. Isaiah wrote all about his birth 700 years before he was born. And when you come to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, you have the story again of his crucifixion. You know these words. Let me read them. But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah wrote those words as if he were standing at the end of history, and it had already happened. All these words are in the past tense. He's not saying here he will do this. He's saying he has done this. Isaiah stood in his prophetic role at the end of history and said, before it ever happened, this is what's going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The entire 53rd chapter of Isaiah contains a picture of Jesus Christ so vivid and so detailed that it's difficult to conceive that it was written seven centuries before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Many scholars have said Isaiah 53 is the most important chapter in the Old Testament because here we have the prophet telling us about the Savior we have his prophecy 700 years before. Then we have the record of what happened, which has been attested to by secular historians. If a man 700 years before he was born had this prophesied about him, and everything was perfectly fulfilled, I don't mean almost, or he just almost did this. Every one of these prophecies were fulfilled to the exact degree. People who do possibility studies, mathematicians, have written about what would the odds be of 48 of these prophecies being fulfilled in exact detail. And the number that they came up with is not possible for me to say. I can't even describe it. Here's the take on it. It's more than the entire atoms on the earth. Not people, atoms. In other words, it is absolutely absolutely impossible that this could have happened and it not be the miraculous hand of God in the middle of it all. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. There isn't any question about it. Any thinking person, any honest, reasonable person who goes to the study of it will come away not doubting, but with their hands up high in faith. I have at least five books in my office of people who started out to disprove all this. In the midst of the study, they became Christians. One year while visiting Europe, Richard Gans, who grew up in New York City, he was attending a Hebrew school. He was an Israelite of an Israelite, worshiping in his local Jewish synagogue. His father suffered a fatal heart attack, and because of that, he turned away from Judaism. He spent years in rebellion against God. Through undergrad and graduate school, he excelled at the top of his class and became a successful psychotherapist. And he still had no strong religious practices in his life at all. In essence, he was a Zionist, but he was not practicing Judaism. One year, while he was visiting Europe, Gantz found accommodations at a place called Labrie, the Christian retreat center that was founded by Francis Schaeffer. A man there, Hans Van Seventer, engaged Gantz in conversation and asked this Jewish man if he could read a passage to him from the Bible. As Gantz listened, he grew very angry. He thought, doesn't he know what he's doing, reading this Christian stuff to a Jew? The passage brought to his mind images of Christ on the cross and Renaissance paintings of Jesus dying and rising again. The passage spoke of a suffering Savior whose hands and feet were pierced, who died for the sins of the world and who rose again. Finishing the reading, Hans asked, What do you think? And Gans replied, Anyone who was there at that cross could have written that stuff. What does that prove? And Hans handed Gans the Bible open to the passage he had read. And Gans said, The name that I saw at the top of the page was Isaiah. Hans had been reading to me from my Jewish Bible from my Hebrew scriptures. 
And I felt as though someone had taken a sword and cut me to pieces. Hans then told me, as I sat with my eyes transfixed on the name Isaiah, that it was written 700 years before Jesus was born. I felt as if I had been stabbed. And I knew at that instance that if Jesus wrote history about himself, and it was in my Jewish Bible, that if the Gentile God was the Jewish God, that he was truly God, and I had to submit everything in my life to him. And that day I knelt and became a Christian. The God who put that all together in Isaiah and in the New Testament was none other than the God you and I worship, and his son is Jesus Christ. So when we look at these things from the Old Testament, what do we learn? How do we process this in our own daily lives? Just a couple of things and we're finished. First of all, when you do this little study, what happens is you strengthen your faith. You know, I'm getting so tired of people saying, oh, you Christians, you believe anything. Somebody tells you to believe it and you believe it. No, I don't believe anything. I believe what the Bible says, and I've done some homework to find out that what the Bible says is not just true because it says it's true. It's true because it's been proven to be true. The Bible tells you the truth. And this Jesus, who is the miracle out of this process, is the Jesus who says to you and me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. We may not like that. We may think that's pretty exclusive, but it's true. If Jesus could do what he did in the old and the new, he proves who he is. And that gives me such great comfort. When I have a doubt, when I have a concern about my faith, as we all do on occasion, one of the best things you can do is go back and read Psalm 22. And when you get done with that, go read Isaiah 53 and realize that was written 1,000 years and 700 years before it ever happened in the New Testament. So... It will affirm your faith. Knowing Jesus from the Old Testament reassures our faith. And it revives our hearts. Do you remember when the two disciples went on this walk on the road to Emmaus? It was after Jesus died on the cross, and these two guys were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on the way, they were talking with each other about how disappointed they were because they thought Jesus was going to be their king. And all of a sudden, somebody started walking along with them. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And they didn't know who it was. The Bible actually says that Jesus caught up with them. In other words, they were walking slowly. So Jesus started walking real fast, and he caught up with them, and he got in step with them. So now they're having this conversation, Jesus walking along with them. They're talking about how they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one who would relieve them from their bondage. And the one they were talking about was walking along with them. And they didn't know it. And finally they get to the turnoff to go to their house. And they go to their house. And the Bible says that when they were breaking the bread, in the breaking of the bread, they realized who it was who had been with them. And then he departed from them. In the breaking of the bread, they saw the prince of the nails in his hands. And they realized that the one they had been talking to was the Jesus they had thought was done for. And he was never going to be back again. And Luke 24, 32 says this about the conversation they had about Jesus. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Those two disciples knew something was going on. Jesus opened the scriptures to them. And what did he do? He opened the Old Testament scriptures. And the Bible says that he taught them from the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. 
And the result of it was it revived their hearts and they were filled with joy and excitement. That's what happens when you realize that he's the Jesus of the old and the Jesus of the new. And then knowing Jesus from the Old Testament will restore your hope. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever things were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning that we might have hope. We have hope. It's not a hope-so hope. It's a no-so hope. We know that Jesus is who he claims to be. Well, I hope you understand now that when you read the Old Testament, you're not putting Jesus on hold until you get to the new. You're finding Jesus, as the author said, on every page. In his book on biblical prophecy, Herbert Lockyer told a story about a famous magician named Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini could escape any set of locks known to men. Once in Paris, a local magician claimed that he could do anything Houdini did. And he offered to have himself locked in a cage secured by one of Houdini's special padlocks. The man had secretly discovered the combination through an accomplice and he knew he could easily free himself. But unfortunately for him, Houdini suspected a trick, and he changed the combination on the lock. And the next day, the poor magician tried in vain to extricate himself as the crowd jeered. Finally, Houdini stepped forward and gave the man the new code. It was a five-letter combination. Here was the new combination. F-R-A-U-D, fraud. <laughs> Lockyer said, the one who worked out the combination was the one who could unlock it. In like manner, the one who gave those Old Testament prophecies as a lock knew the combination, and he alone can unlock the mysteries. Here is that word that unlocks the mysteries of the Old Testament. It's the word J-E-S-U-S. Make sure the promised Messiah is your Savior. Study his portrait and always remember the combination to a life of joy and victory is the simplest formula in the world. It's simply J-E-S-U-S. He's the Jesus of the old, and he's Jesus of the new. Find him in the old in picture. Find him in the new in his presence. Find him in the old in all the types. Find him in the new as he lives out his life in Israel. Most of all, find him in your heart. Realize that God has created you with a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. He put the combination there. And if you don't respond to the combination he put in your heart, you will always have an empty place in your life. He built you, men and women, with a space that only he can fill. You can try to stuff it with everything else, but it never is right. It isn't until Jesus comes to live in your heart that you can say, Oh, so that's what I've been looking for. So that's what I've been waiting for. I recommend him to you. I'm not preaching about Jesus so you'll know more about him. I'm preaching about Jesus so you'll love him more in your life and want him more in your everyday experience. He's the real deal. He's the only one who can bring the satisfaction to your heart. You were created for him. Amen. Why don't you receive him? We've been trying to encourage you to do that. What you do is just ask him to come and live within your heart. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. 
Ask him for forgiveness. Confess that you sinned. You know, that's not a rocket science issue. Everybody knows that. You know it. Tell the Lord Jesus you're sorry and ask him to forgive your sin, and he will. He'll apply the shed blood of the cross on your sin, and it'll all be forgiven. You'll never face the guilt of it again if you invite him to come and you receive him as your Savior. And then he'll take you to heaven where you can be with him forever and ever. He is the eternal Son of God. During the month of December, we want to send you a very beautiful gift for your investment in Turning Point. This is one of the most special things we do throughout the year. It's a leather-covered, beautifully designed devotional with a devotional reading for every day of the new year. And we want you to have this going into 2024, and you can have yours for a gift of any size during the month of December. Ask for it today when you send your gift. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is strengthening your walk with the Lord, drop us a line at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for Turning Point Ministries to access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Jesus You May Not Know on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Though they are scarce today in public places, a manger scene is a good way to be reminded of the humanity of that first Christmas. I'm always intrigued by the tall, quiet-looking figure, often in the background. The man we know as Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph's strength amazes me when I consider what he did 
he agreed to marry his pregnant fiancée and believe her when she said the child was of God. He protected Mary and provided for the baby Jesus, playing his part in the Christmas story with dignity and courage. Though Jesus didn't inherit Joseph's genes, I can't help but think he must have inherited a lot of his character. This is David Jeremiah, and that is The Christmas Story on Route 66. Driving the word home this Christmas on Route 66. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Start your journey home today.